Today's scripture reading comes from Luke 19, verses 1 through 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry down, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who was a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the reading of God's word. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time you've given us today to, uh, to gather together as your people and to worship you, to be reminded uh, that Jesus paid it all, to be reminded of your grace as we're also reminded of our need for grace. And Father, we pray today as we delve into your words, we think about this passage and what it is that you have to say to us today. We pray that we will be humble and that we would be hungry uh, for, your, for just your word and we pray that you would encourage us and convict us today and really show us more of yourself and that we could truly be amazed again by you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today's passage is in the book of Luke, obviously, and uh, it's a very, I would actually say, pretty well-known story, story of Zacchaeus. And I remember as a kid growing up, you know, I would hear this story, and honestly, what I really think about is, oh, Zacchaeus, yeah, the guy, the really short guy, right, who climbed up a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And I remember the thing that I used to wonder growing up was, well, what does that mean, short, right? Like, does that mean he's like five foot tall? Is he like four foot tall? I remember just kind of curious about that more than anything else. And I remember also always wondering, like, what is, you know, what kind of tree was it? You know, like, how high did he get? And, you know, these kind of questions. But as you look at the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus, it's actually, it's actually really an amazing story, if you think about it. Because, you know, in the book of, Luke chapter 18, you know, there was a, so there's an encounter with Jesus and a rich young ruler. And, you know, in that encounter, Jesus obviously challenges this rich young man that if you want to follow me, right, to, to give up pretty much everything, all your riches, to give it to the poor and follow me. And obviously he can't do it. And there's a, there's a, you know, there's a really important thing that, you know, where they ask, who can be saved? His disciple, well, he, so Jesus says to his disciples, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so then when they hear it, they ask, well, who can be saved? And Jesus says a very important thing. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Right? What is impossible with man is possible with God. And then in this passage we see another rich man, probably not a young man, but a rich man. And not only is he rich, he's a very sinful man. He's a man who was very hated because he was doing something pretty bad, actually. We'll go into that a little bit more later. And so he's rich, 
He's sinful. He's hated because of his sinfulness. And yet we see this man, who nobody would have probably expected to become a follower of Christ, we see him being a follower of Christ. We see him becoming truly a disciple. And so today, what I, what I really wanted to do is as we look at the story, I wanted to think about becoming a disciple. How did this Zacchaeus become a disciple and what does it look like for him, the sinner that is hated by everyone, to become truly a disciple of the Lord? And so there's really three points that I want to make today called to relationship, called to obedience, and called to ultimate allegiance, right? Three things, called to relationship, called to obedience, and called to ultimate allegiance. But as I, before I go into those points, I just want to just some background here, right? So Jesus, Luke chapter 19 here, he says here in the past that he entered Jericho, right? So it's a pretty, pretty, pretty big city. He's passing through and obviously, there's a man named Zacchaeus who heard about Jesus. You know, we don't know how he heard about Jesus. You know, different scholars will say maybe he knew Matthew or maybe he heard from different people. I mean, we don't really know exactly how, but he clearly knows about Jesus. And it says in the passage that he was a chief tax collector and that he was rich. I think that's important and because Luke's saying that for a reason. Now, tax collectors, okay, let's be honest. No one likes tax collectors, right? I'm sure when you, know, when, you know, you get your paycheck and you realize that a big chunk of your paycheck was taken out, I'm sure nobody is happy about that. And if you meet somebody and they say, I work for the IRS, I'm going to guess that person, you're not going to be like feeling all warm to that, to that person, right? I mean, they're just doing their job, but no one likes someone who takes their money. I mean, that's just kind of obvious. But here's the thing. Zacchaeus was a tax collector who was working for the Romans, right? So first of all, you hear a Jew taking money from other Jews and giving it to the hated Romans, right? The people that are oppressing, right? And ruling over them. So they're obviously not going to like him. But even more so, tax collectors were known to take a little extra money, right? They were known not just to take the amount that you owe the Roman government, but to take some more money and obviously take, you know, kind of skim, right? And and to pocket the extra money. But if you look at the passage, not only is he a tax collector, he's a chief tax collector. So he's high up. He probably has other tax collectors working for him. So this guy is a guy who is taking a lot of money from his own people to give to the Romans, but also to put it in his own pocket. And so he is somebody who is very disliked, hated, and people obviously will probably look at him and call him a sinner. If you look at the New Testament, you see that when people talk about sinners, you, you tax collectors right on top of that list. And he's a chief tax collector. And Luke says that he was rich. Right? He puts that there on purpose. He wants us to know he is rich. But the implication clearly is not only is he rich, he is rich because of his sinfulness. Right? He's rich because he's taking money that doesn't belong to him from his own people. He's cheating his own people. And so he's a tax collector, and he is rich. And that's why he says he wants to see Jesus, but if you look at verse 3, the, he couldn't because of the crowd, because he was small in stature. And, you know, most scholars, when you, you know, read commentaries and stuff, they'll say something like, most likely part of the problem here was the crowd wouldn't let him see Jesus, right, because they don't like him, right, and he's small. And so they're probably blocking his view. They probably don't want any part of him. 
And so that's the context of who he is. But here's the surprising part. In the past, it says he ran and he climbed up a tree. Now, think about this for a second. I want you to imagine, you know, I don't know, some famous person comes in front of our church and imagine Pastor Francis running and going, climbing up a tree. It's weird, right? Like, you don't think, you know, somebody of his stature, right, would do something like that, right? It's just kind of, you kind of be thinking, it's awkward. And in his time, same thing. A man, a grown man, who obviously is also rich, was not supposed to run, let alone climb up a tree. This is what a child does. And so this is something that would be kind of shameful, embarrassing, and yet he doesn't care. He really wants to see Jesus, so he runs, he climbs up a tree, and this is where Jesus obviously reaches out to him. And so my first point here in this passage is going to be called to relationship. How does he become a disciple? He's called to a relationship. What we see here is Jesus, he looks up, and he says to him, right, in verse 5, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, how does he know even Zacchaeus' name? How does he know he's up on that tree? I mean, I don't know, but I'm thinking he's Jesus, right? He's God, so he should know that, right? But he says, Zacchaeus, come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, when I was a kid, I remember thinking, okay, this story is about Zacchaeus looking for Jesus, and so, you know, I need to, like, look for Jesus, but I, I don't think that's it at all. When you look at this passage, it's not about Zacchaeus. Obviously, he's wondering who Jesus is. I, he's running, he's climbing up, all that, but who initiates this? Zacchaeus, all he wanted was a glimpse of Jesus. He didn't want to talk to him. He didn't want anything to do with him, like, personally. He just wants to see him because he heard about him. He's interested who he is. But Jesus is the one who initiates the whole thing. He looks up, which probably, I'm guessing, embarrassed the kids. I'm guessing he was up in the tree hoping nobody would notice him so he could look at Jesus. But he points him out. He calls him by name. And then he says, I must stay at your house today. Now, you know, all the scholars say the same thing here. What he's saying is, I want to go to your house I want to eat a meal with you, and most likely, I want to spend the night at your house. And again, what commentators are going to say here is that Jesus is saying, I want to be a part of your life. Because you didn't invite someone into your house, have a meal with them, you know, sit around, have them sleep there, unless they meant something to you. Even today, if you think about it, you're not going to invite someone to your house that you don't care about. You're not going to invite someone to your house and say, hey, why don't you have a meal with me, maybe spend the night at my house. Oh, what does that mean? It means we, there's something important, there's some kind of relationship. In their culture, you know, that meal together, the evening meal especially, right before you went to sleep, was a big deal. It, it was a big deal in, you know, in your family, and to have somebody over, eat with you, spend, spend the night with you, maybe even, you know, some scholars think maybe multiple nights, right? Maybe he was there for a while, but the point of it is, he's, Jesus is saying, I want to be a part of your life. And you see Jesus, Jesus' response, verse 6, he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. He, but now in verse 7, others grumbled. They say he's going to be the guest of a man who's a sinner because other people also understand what this means. 
that Jesus wants to be a part of Zacchaeus' life. And, you know, righteous Jews or self-righteous Jews, right, that was a no-no. You don't have this kind of fellowship with someone who's that kind of a sinner. That kind of makes you almost sinful, right? And so you don't do that. But Jesus obviously doesn't care about those kind of things, those kind of, you know, norms that people had. Because obviously, Jesus wants to change Zacchaeus' life. So he is the one that initiates. He is the one that calls Zacchaeus. He is the one that says, I'm going to go to your house. And he is the one that is touching and changing Zacchaeus' life. And you see this change already starting because he receives him joyfully. Right? And some people wonder, maybe this is where he started really changing. You know, we don't know exactly when the change starts to happen. But... What we do know is Jesus is the one who initiates. Right? And we see grace here. Jesus didn't say this. He did not say, if you stop sinning, if you repent, if you give your money back, if you help the poor, I will go to your house. He did not say that. He said, come down and I want to stay with you. I want to be a part of your life. And that's a reminder for us. Right? Think about who we are. We're sinful. Well, we're dirty. You know, if, if you know, our, our theology is pretty clear. We are totally depraved. Every single one of us, none of us is righteous. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We deserve nothing but death, but condemnation. God is holy. We are not. And yet, what is the gospel? The gospel is that for sinners like us, Christ came into the world, that he died the death that we deserve. We just sang about it today. Jesus paid it all. And Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm going to die for you and pay it all if you obey me, if you repent. No, Jesus died for us. He loves his people, and that is why we trust in him, we repent, and we follow him. And Jesus says, I want a relationship with you. He says that to us. And the only way he could do that is obviously by taking our place upon the cross. And so we see that for Zacchaeus, but he hasn't gone to the cross yet. He's only able to offer this kind of relationship and this kind of change of salvation to Zacchaeus because in a little bit, right, in a little bit, chapter 20, next chapter, he's going to go into Jerusalem with the triumphal entry. He's going to the cross. But for us, we know that he invites us into relationship because he's already died. For his people because of the work he already has done for us. And so we see in this passage, what does Jesus do? He's calling Zacchaeus into a relationship with him. Right? That's part of becoming what a disciple is. If I'm a disciple, I need to have a relationship with him. And a little side note here about discipleship, I want to say, I think sometimes when we hear the word discipleship, we think, oh, like the super holy, mature Christian. Right, so we think, oh, you know, that's a discipleship. Is you know that word is for like the really mature, I don't know, like whatever kind of Christians, and you know, and then there's a normal Christian, right? But if you you know read the Word of God, it's very clear. Every Christian is called to be a disciple. But Jesus says in Matthew 28, make disciples of all nations, right? Every single child of God is called to be a disciple, and so we should be growing in Christ. We should be maturing in Christ. You know, we should be denying ourselves or carrying our cross daily. We should be following Christ in all that we do. And part of that is having that relationship with Christ. He died for us so we could have a relationship with him, so we could trust in him, right? Have eternal life of salvation because of our faith in him, but also continue 
to have that relationship with him. And, you know, well, just to add on here, obviously we know to have a relationship with our Lord means we need to be in the word. We need to listen to the preached word of God, right, and just really apply it into our lives. We need to read the word. We need to meditate on the word. We need to memorize the word. And obviously we need to be people of prayer. Whether, again, that's corporately, like we do together at church, whether that's with our families, whether it's individually, but every single one of us is called to be a person of prayer. And I think that's, that's important as we pray, as we are in the Word, as we're communing with the Lord, as we think about what Christ has done for us, we're called to a relationship, but a disciple is not just called to a relationship, a disciple is called to obedience. If you look at verse 8, Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold, four times. Now, it's interesting because we, we don't really know when he said this. We don't know if it was pretty early in their relationship or maybe this is, you know, after a long time. I mean, you know, there's no timeline given here. But here's the other thing. We don't even know what Jesus said to him. Right, I remember thinking, as I was looking at this passage, I was thinking, you know, it's kind of incredible that whatever Jesus did, whatever he said to him, here is a man who's a chief tax collector, he's filthy rich, he's a, you know, he's a sinner who is stealing from his own people and lining his pockets with their money. He probably doesn't even care about people that much because he cares about money a lot more than those people. And Jesus says something to him that completely changes life like this, and yet Luke doesn't write a thing about what he said. I remember thinking if, you know, if I was writing, like, my autobiography and I had done something, I, th I feel like I would write a book saying, you know, how I humbly changed a man's life or something, you know, like, a sinner, I feel like you would want to talk about it. We don't, we don't know what he said. We don't know what he did, what the ministry looked like, but here's what we know. Whatever the ministry, like, whatever Jesus said, what we do know is that Zacchaeus' life has completely changed. And we see it. Verse 9, Jesus said, today salvation has come to this house since he also is the son of Abraham, right? So what is Jesus saying? The salvation has come to this house, to Zacchaeus. It says in verse 10, the son of man came to seek and save the lost. And he's saying, salvation happened here. Zacchaeus' life is completely changed. And what is the evidence of that? The obedience that we see in verse 8. Half of my goods I give to the poor, but you were called to give. Right, we think we know the tithe, obviously, 10%, but you were called to give to the poor. And I was reading a commentary by Phil Reichen, and he says, actually, at most, though, you're supposed to give 20% to the poor, at most. He says 50%. So he's obeying, but he's going way beyond the obedience. And then it says here, I, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'm going to restore it fourfold, meaning if I took $1,000 from you, I'm going to give you $4,000. I think about that for a second. Here is a man who probably stole a lot of money. So if he's, if he's giving half, and then uh, the half that's left, if he's giving four times what he stole, he's probably going to go, I'm, I'm thinking he's going to go broke, giving it all away. But what is he doing? You know, we see in the Old Testament, if you steal from someone, you're supposed to make retribution, but you're supposed to give more than what you stole. And, you know, and... There is a four sheep rule. You do see it in Exodus 22. But, you know, I think commentators say, you know, if it's money, probably at most double. So he's here probably also, again, going 
above and beyond. But what is, what is he showing? It's not just words. He's not saying, Jesus, you know, you came into my life, so I trust you. I want to follow you. No, no, no. He's showing through his obedience that his life has completely changed. And it would appear to be joyful obedience going above and beyond what is required of him. And so what is ultimately happening? Jesus called him, called him into a relationship. He changed his life you know, in the conversation with Jesus and whatever was happening in that encounter, something clicked for Zacchaeus and he decided, he realized maybe who Jesus was. Salvation came into his house. And so what, is this, what, is, what does it mean to be a disciple? What do we see? Obedience. A call to relationship, a call to obedience. He's saying yes and amen. I'm going to do what I should be doing. I want to give to the poor. I want to give half my goods, which is more than I need to, but I want to do it with a joyful heart. And if I stole from somebody, and the if here is not if, like if I did something wrong, you know, like I'm not sure if I did. You know, it just, the if here is, of course I did something wrong. I stole a lot of money. I'm going to give it back full, full. Complete, utter, unconditional obedience. And again, that is an example, a mark, actually, of discipleship, of being a disciple. Right? I think Pastor Francis preached from Mark 8 a couple weeks ago when he talked about, you know, we need to die. When I become a disciple, what am I saying? I'm saying I'm not living for myself anymore. I'm living for you, Lord, and I'm going to obey you. The easy stuff that I think, you know, I want to do and the stuff that I don't want to do. And let's be honest. As God's people, as Christians, when we look at the word, when we hear preaching, when we read the word, sometimes we're like, that sounds good, Lord, but that, uh, I don't know, right? I mean, and so we kind of pick and choose. Or sometimes when we hear somebody preaching or saying, you know, rebuking us, if we don't like what they have to say, we don't want to listen. I actually remember hearing a story about a pastor, um, you know, he was actually preaching to his congregation, and I think the pastor told, was telling some of the parents you know, in the congregation that, you know, God has to come first, you know, not your children, and, you know, like their education is important, but it's not as important as you know, their faith in the Lord. And, you know, and it's not just about like their studies. It's also about them you know, loving Jesus and all this kind of stuff, right? And so he was saying this, and I heard the parents, a lot of the parents, their response was, oh, he's only saying that because his kids don't do well in school, right? And it's that kind of attitude that we have sometimes, right? Where we hear something, and if I don't want to hear what you have to say to me, I say, ah, I don't want to. When we read the word of God, and we, you know, we see certain passages, and we talk, and, you know, it talks about, I don't know, maybe helping the poor or, you know, like, things like that. We go, oh, yeah, I should do that. But then maybe we see a passage about forgiveness, forgiving your enemies, you know, loving somebody who's done wrong to you. And we go, oh, no, no, not that part. That doesn't apply to me. But the word of God is clear. Being a disciple means I am called to obedience. Whether it makes sense to me, whether it doesn't, whether I like it, whether I don't. Being a disciple means, Lord, yes and amen. Even if I don't understand, I know it is for your glory, it is for my good and for the blessing of others, and I want to follow you. I'm guessing it was very hard for Zacchaeus to give up half his goods to the poor and to give 400% back to anyone he stole from. But he does it, it would appear, joyfully. And how does that happen? And the last point is call to ultimate allegiance right call to relationship call to obedience call to ultimate allegiance and what i mean by that is this zacchaeus it would appear is living 
for money and whatever the money represents, right? Because he's not liked by people, so I don't think that's something that's huge to him, right? And yet, he's a chief tax collector who is rich. So it would appear he would sacrifice, you know, for example, being liked for something else, which would be money, maybe some kind of authority, and whatever that money would represent, right? Because money, you know, people talk about money as an idol, but it could mean different things. Money could mean, for me, it could be security. It could mean control, right? Money for me could be, you know, safety. Money for me could be status, right? Money could be power. Money could mean different things. If you don't know exactly what money meant for his case, but what we do know is he liked it. And this was the thing that seemed to rule his life. Just like the rich young ruler that we see in Luke 18, and, you know, Jesus saw the rich young ruler that his idol was money, and so Jesus said, hey, give it up. And he says, no, I don't want to give it up. And for Zacchaeus, he was ruled by money and whatever the money represented. And yet, what we see in verse 8 is clearly something changed in his life. Salvation came into his house. Something clicked. And he said, Lord, no longer do I live for money and whatever it represents. I want to live for you. I want to live for the kingdom of God. I want to live my life for something better than money and all that that represents. Now, I want you to notice, Jesus, he didn't say, I'm going to give all my goods to the poor. Right? There's nothing in the Bible that says, hey, if you are a disciple, you must be broke and have zero money. He says half. But the point isn't the percentage here. The point is Zacchaeus is no longer controlled by his money. The point is his allegiance is no longer money. He's not ruled by money. Now he's saying, I'm ruled by the Lord. I'm ruled by God. I'm ruled by, the, you know, by whatever that means. I am no longer a slave to my possessions, to my money, and to everything that represents. I'm going to let it go, and I want to follow you. And that is a disciple. right? A disciple obviously has a relationship with the Lord. Obviously a disciple obeys, but it does it because his ultimate allegiance is not money, it's not power, right? It's not status, right? It's not getting affection from the right people, right? It's not it's none of these things that tends to rule us in our lives. But the question is this, for us, what rules us? Right? What is our ultimate allegiance? Is it Christ? Is my ultimate allegiance, Lord, yes and amen, I want to live for you, for to me to live is Christ, to die is gain, or is my ultimate allegiance money, whatever that brings? Is it my status, right? Is it my job and whatever that means? Right? Is it my family and whatever that means? What is it that is ruling my life? And for Zacchaeus, what we see is saying, Jesus I'm willing to give up my goods to the poor half of it and restore everybody I stole from them fourfold because I am no longer living for this. No, I want to live for the Lord. I want to live for you. I want to live for the kingdom of God. I want to live as a son of Abraham. And so Jesus is not declaring salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus is doing these things. No, it is because salvation has come to this house. The evidence of that is that Zacchaeus is doing these things. Because a disciple 
is someone obviously has a relationship with the Lord. A disciple obeys, but a disciple's ultimate allegiance is to the Lord and not to the things of this world. So my hope, you know, my, my prayer this afternoon is this, that, you know, as a church, you know, filled with disciples of Christ, that we will say, Lord, yes, we are so grateful for the relationship that we have with you. We know that Christ, you died on the cross so that I could have a relationship with you. And so now I want to obey you, and I want to have my ultimate allegiance be for you. You know, we think of Christ, and he was, you know, the ultimate, how do I put it, the ultimate insider, right? He was part of the Trinity. But what happens on the cross? He is forsaken by his own father. And because of what happens to him on the cross, he can bring an outsider like Zacchaeus into the family of God to become a disciple. And all of us who are outsiders as well, we are able to become part of the family of God, become the children of God. We are able to be saved, to be forgiven, and to become disciples of Christ of Christ's work on the cross. And as we think about that, I pray that we will say, Lord, I no longer want to live for the things that this world represents, but I want to live for you and you alone as I'm in relationship with you, as I obey you, and as I make you my everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you and we worship you. Father, we look at this passage, we see Zacchaeus someone who was judged as a sinner, and we see him completely being transformed because you entered into his life. We see him becoming a disciple, called to relationship, called to obedience, called to ultimate allegiance to you. And we pray, Father, that we, as your people, will remember all that you have done for us. We will look to the cross and think of what Christ has done for sinners like us, and we would say, Lord, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We thank you, we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.